You're listening to We, we, we the Aether Podcast, within and without. Welcome. Hey, Mark, thank you for taking the time today to have this chat uh, and come on the podcast. Uh, we're really looking forward to it when I saw your Instagram page. Uh, that's how I initially discovered uh, some of the content that you create and, and a little bit about what you do. But those that aren't familiar that are watching and listening to this right now, do you mind just to kick things off briefly introducing yourself? Happily. Thank you for having me on, Adam. My name is Mark England, and I am one of the co-founders of Procabulary. We, my, when I say we, I mean my business partner and I, and now our community, uh, we're, we're, we're into language. We're into the power of language. We're into, the, into, into studying the, the, the power and the, the, the mechanism of storytelling. We like spells. When I mean spells, I mean spells by definition. So Webster's definition. The definition of a spell is a word or a combination of words of great influence. And just myself personally, learning more about how my language influences me for better and for worse has been one of the very best things I've, I've ever done for myself, both, both personally and professionally. When I say language, I mean internal dialogue, what we think, and external dialogue, what we say and what we write. So we've got we've we've been doing this a while. I've been doing we call unofficially story work full time for the past thirteen years. I've been very lucky to have partnered up with a good friend and now business partner for the past six. Um, like I said, we've. Uh, We've created two brands around this work, um, done a decent amount of presentations. Uh, we're now certifying coaches. Yes, it's, it's what we do and it's what we love doing. That's great. And, and I really I actually caught your TED talk as well um, just before we hopped on. And I really love how you, you get the fact that language and the internal dialogue, as you were just saying, and, and the, the external dialogue, is it's, it really does structure one's own reality. Uh, so I was wanting, wondering if you could touch on that a little bit, even just what you got into there in your TED Talk, uh, and even into the, uh, you mentioned spells, and it immediately brought to mind from your TED Talk, Abracadabra. And uh, it's something that is posted a lot on the Instagram page of this podcast, and a lot of people, it really reson- resonates with them. They're not too familiar in, in sense of how you describe it, which is why I'd love if you could just touch on that as well, because I think it's really going to enlighten some people on, on the deeper meaning of some of these things. Happy to, happy to. So the current definition, Webster's definition of identity is the fact of being who or what we are. Now, that one's a, a pretty easy definition to argue against or dispel. And we did. We did this on uh, on our on our TEDx talk at our TEDx talk, however you would say that. So, you know, most people see themselves. I'm 44 years old. I see myself very differently, Adam, than when I was five. And most people do too. And that's because our identities are not factual. They are not static. They are ongoing, fluid, flexible processes. And we participate 
in those ongoing fluid flexible processes day in and day out with our language, with our words. And <laughs> that's, that seems to be the, the, the best of news and the worst of news. It's like, yes, I'm creating my own reality. Oh my God, I'm creating yeah. my own reality. Yeah, yeah. What do I do? Yeah, man. Um, I got into this work out of, uh, uh, you know, personal need is, it's not strong enough language. It was, you know, and do or die isn't, isn't, is too strong of language. It, it's more, it was more along the lines of do or suffer 30, 40 years of being bitter and resentful and, and ending up a bitter, resentful old man. I was, I, I thought I was a tough guy back in my twenties, man. I was, uh, was in the martial arts, hard styles, Thai boxing and MMA back before, before it was called MMA. And I moved over to Thailand in 2002. I wanted to be a pro fighter. Six months after arrival, it was a big deal moving over there for me. Six months after arrival, I'm, I'm, I'm in the doctor's office, uh, and he's telling me how my second knee surgery just went not well. Mm -hmm, yeah, and, I caught a bit of that as well in your talk, and uh, I had I had knee issues, and I was just like, I totally feel you on this. <laughs> it's just, it's like a it's frustrating. Yeah. Buddy, I was crushed, man. Um, and I stayed crushed. I didn't, I didn't laugh for a year. I didn't smile or laugh for a year because of the, um, volume and intensity of the victim mentality story I had running relentlessly in my mind. And it dawned on me one day, it said, Hey dude, uh, you know, you could keep being this way for a prolonged period of time, for an extended period of time. And I had a flash vision, man. I didn't like what I saw. I saw 35 years down the line and a wasted life um, and a very just sour ending. And I said, anything but that. And right around that same time, uh, my, I was – living in Bangkok. I was an elementary school sports teacher. My vice principal, he'd come back from a cleansing resort on the island of Koh Samui. So Thailand is, it's got you know, the Andaman Sea and then the, the Gulf of Thailand. There's an island down in the Gulf of Thailand. It's called Koh Samui. And he went down there and he did this cleansing. He did a three-day liver cleanse. He goes, man, I think you should go down there. And he handed me a book and the book talked about traditional Chinese medicine. I'd had some acupuncture. I got down. I was like, okay, I can contemplate. I can consider this stuff. So I go down there and um, I do a cleanse on one of our spring breaks and I come back feeling better, better enough for me to go back. I kept going back. The third time, Adam, I'm down there and I met a man that would profoundly influence the trajectory of my life. He was one of my mentors. He was there one evening as a guest, and he gave a talk on emotional detoxification. And me and all my wisdom, I snickered at that. I was like, emotional detoxification. And the person that told me said, you need to go. I went. 
And I watched him talk about the power of words and the power of our stories and how some words take us in one direction and another word, other words take us in another direction and that most people's language works against them. And I'm staring at this guy. I'm like, man, this guy's telling the truth. And then he takes this woman who had, it was a bad breakup and she hadn't gotten in a relationship in four years because part of her was just, was, was still very hurt. And he walked her through the story, took about a minute and a half. At the end, she's angry and crying. Took her through the story a second time, changed a couple of the words, which changed her interpretation of what that event meant about her. And now she's sad, no tears. Now this guy's really got my attention. Takes her through a third time makes a major transition, translation in the middle of that story. And now she's basically neutral. So much so that her perspective changed. She goes, huh, that was never going to work out anyway. That guy was actually pretty weird. And from then on, I mean, I can go into detail about, you know, what I did afterwards, but that, when I say that got my attention, that got my attention and I took a bunch of action. Uh, about learning what he did and how he did it. And, and, and I've been studying ever since. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you just touched on briefly the power of just that abracadabra as well and the, the magic that that can bring. Um, just how that, it touched on a, a lot of what you just covered in terms of just you can speak something and completely flip. And, and you kind of took us through the midway process of that and, and you know, from one side to the other. Um, in the example of that woman, um, something that I've been working on a lot lately as well, because I've been taking on a lot of new things and feeling a lot. And I find that I can either be extremely frustrated in that process, or I can be extremely happy and excited and enthused. And it's like totally my decision of how I choose to articulate myself out externally throughout the world as I go about talking about the things I'm doing. And then internally, as I'm, you know, usually criticizing myself is, is the typical human you know, tendency to, to just beat up on myself or uh, the process as I'm doing it. So, um, but if you could just specifically just get to that, to abracadabra, I, I would love that because I, I think even I just made a post about that recently and people, they love um, hearing about kind of the, the philosophy behind it. They're happy to, man. That's a, that one hit me like a ton of bricks when I learned about abracadabra and you're absolutely right about articulating oneself and it's not about being eloquent in, in, in such a sense. It's, it's knowing that we have options. We have options in the way we tell ourselves stories about ourselves and being able to choose, knowing that we can choose and having developed the skill of being able to choose. A lot of that comes down to understand knowing about the words what what words to use more of and what words to use less of i used to live in ecuador and i remember this clear as day my man we're out to dinner with friends this guy's at the other end of the table he knows i'm into story work and he goes hey mark you know what abracadabra means i go yeah yeah magic and he goes no There's a whole lot more to it than that. He said, abracadabra is Aramaic. 
which is an old language. It's still spoken in some portions of the, the Middle East and, and, and Persia. It's the language the original Old Testament was written in. I mean, it's, it's old. And he said, abracadabra translates to with my word I create or with my word I influence. I stopped eating. I put my fork down. I went over and sat next to him and I said, tell me everything you know, man. The hair stood up on my arms. It was one of those moments. And he said, yeah, dude, look it up. The metaphysicians, the teachers of the day would triangulate abracadabra and wear it around their necks to remind them of the power and the mechanism of language because they knew that that was the foundation that all other uh, spiritual skills were built upon. They knew if they got that right, then they could, they could essentially ascend uh, the, the, the ladder of, um, well, what, what we would call personal development or developing oneself or actualizing oneself or becoming a more, well, magical creature. And they also knew that if they got that wrong and they told themselves the wrong, quote unquote, the wrong kind of stories, what we have a definition for now of victim mentality, then it's, they got an uphill battle, man. The definition of the victim mentality is also very telling here. I'm going to take a little bit out of the middle. And this is the verbatim definition of the victim mentality. It is an acquired personality trait where a person tends to regard himself or herself as the victim of negative actions of others, even in the absence of clear evidence. The victim mentality depends on a habitual thought process and attributions. That second sentence is very telling. The victim mentality, it depends as in it has to have a habitual, which accurately implies duration and addiction, thought process. The victim mentality is the thief in the night, man. Mm. It's the scourge of humanity. Uh-huh. And right now, especially with everything that's happening, I find that it's really being perpetuated in media. And like, like it, the media, in the sense, is, is wanting people to remain in this this way of being it, it really doesn't empower the individual which every individual has this great innate power within them that just becomes unrealized because because of that reason it's just like constantly in their face it's like the human is this lower being this lesser being they don't have this ability to create their own reality and that you are a victim of your circumstance and a victim of the world and your surroundings you, you just don't have that ability to create your own reality which is like this hashtag now you know on these social platforms but it's people don't realize they have this, this within them. So uh, what are your thoughts on the current state of things in terms of, of just that, this, this, you know, being kind of shoved down, you know, or even to the masks and everything else that everyone's having to wear. Um, it, does it victimize people? Like all, all this, the circumstances that, that we're in right now, do you feel that? And, and what, and the second part of that question is what do you think people have to do as the first step to start reclaiming themselves? If that is the case and reclaiming their own power it's not that people are victimized. It's close. It's that people are tricked, seduced into victimizing themselves. That's the most sinister part about it. There are many a weaponized narrative floating around in the mainstream and, and, and on social media. 
And when someone seduces themselves, I mean, literally, man, what's more seductive than our own voice in our own head? When someone seduces themselves into, and it's a process, man, it does not happen overnight, it happens in stages over a prolonged period of time. And if it stays in place, then people get addicted to it. That the definition of the victim mentality, it is point blank right between the eyes. When someone aggregates, when someone constructs, creates and aggregates a victim mentality, they are going to activate and maintain sympathetic nervous system response or stress response. And their breathing is going to get trapped in their upper chest, which is where most people's breathing resides. Most people's breathing mechanics are just wrecked, dude. And when someone's breathe, when someone has someone's breathing is is locked in their in their upper chest due to a stress response, changing the way they see a situation and or themselves in a situation, uh, it, it's that is tough, dude. That's real hard. It's it's borderline impossible. Truth be told, we have language. So it's we've all had conversations with someone who have been, who's been very emotional. Okay. We have language in our language that describes that experience. It's like talking to a brick wall. When someone's breathing is trapped, when they're in and these upregulated emotional states, it's called amygdala hijack. Look that up. Their, their, their ability to listen goes well down. So it doesn't matter what side of the fence anyone's on when people are out there yelling and screaming, the ability for them to have a dialogue is nil. They are locked in monologue. And when someone's locked in monologue, they literally have, have tunnel vision. Their particular activating system has been uh, big time engaged. And in order for them to change what they're seeing, they have to downregulate. So arguably the best thing for people to do and the, i mean it's not necessarily easy and it's also easy it's right there get your breath down in your abdomen folks trust me get your breathing low and slow there's a variety of different ways of practicing breath work get your breath low and slow and that's 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 going to make you much more aware when someone's breathing is, is up here, I said this earlier, trapped in their chest, they got tunnel vision. When someone gets their breathing down into their abdomen, their periphery opens up. When someone's periphery opens up, they can consider many things and they can also see things more for what they are as opposed to picking one spot out of the mosaic and calling that the truth. So I mentioned the reticular activating system. This is extremely important for anyone who's interested in personal development of any sort, call it what you will, development of oneself. And I'll tell a story because stories are cool, especially good stories. So 2017, I walk out of my house in Richmond, Virginia and walk out to where I parked my car the night before. And where I parked my car the night before is now glorious, empty space. I remember the feeling, it was weird. I would have liked to have had a video of my, what my face looked like because it was somewhere between quizzical and I, I yeah, it's like a, 
I probably developed a couple of ticks for a second. My car got stolen. So I get on the phone and I call the police. I say, hey, police, my car got stolen. I need some help. Hold on, man. We're on the way. And I call my dad. I said, hey, dad, I need the farm truck. The car got stolen. One of my father's prized possessions, Adam, is a 1985 Ford F-150. Mint condition, bought it off the showroom floor. Two tones of brown, we call it brown and browner. I go out to the farm and I get that 1985 Ford F-150 in mint condition, two tones of brown, and I drive it around Richmond, Virginia for two months. And one, it all it took was one day. One day for me to start seeing 1985-ish Ford F-150s out and about on the street. You ever had that experience? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody has. You get, in a new, you, get, you get a new car, you start seeing those cars out and about. You're like, where the hell are all these cars coming? They were there before. Just now, now that you, your RAS or reticular activating system has been enlisted, engaged, and what it considers, it's impartial, what it considers important is whatever we focus on. And whatever we focus on, it goes on a search and edit mission to find more of that and disprove, discount, edit out anything that's not that. So while I'm finding more and more of those trucks, I'm, I'm not seeing the blue vans and the white Volvos because they're not that. And uh, two more stories and then I'll, I'll open it back up to you, man, whatever you want to talk about this, this phenomenon, there's our, our reticular activating system folks, you know, surprise shocker here, um, responds to other things than 1985 Ford F-150s. So I've been coaching a while now. One of my clients comes in. I only saw her once. She sits down and she said, just straight off the bat, said, I'm having problems in my marriage. My husband thinks I'm beautiful. I refuse to believe him. And I know where it's coming from. I said, okay, do tell. She's 10 years old. She walks into her grandparents' house. Her, her great aunt is right there at the door, leans down and goes, my, you have a big nose just like me. Thanks for that. <laughs> Little girl tightens up, runs into the bathroom, and Adam, take a wild guess what the first thing she looked at was when she looked in the mirror. Yeah, I, I'd imagine her. And then every time she saw her, her aunt later on, which would just be that reminder to her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. First thing she looked at when she walked into the mirror was her nose, which was, of course, physically no bigger than it was 10 seconds ago. But now she's got this honker in her in her imagination and she's ugly so she now has this filter anything that's not you're ugly is going to get deflected and it works both ways for better or for worse you mind if i drop an f-bomb go for it yeah cool yeah. so 2014 i give a presentation there's a guy setting up a uh, setting up a booth right next to where I was presenting. He heard everything I was saying. He didn't have a choice. He was literally right there. And uh, he comes up afterwards. He goes, man, that was really cool. I, I, I enjoyed listening to what you were having to say. Do you have time for a good story? 
I mean, who says no to that, by the way? <laughs> Good story. Not, not me. He goes, uh, my grandfather, I was 13 years old. My grandfather took me out in the backyard and I, I, I didn't, I never got the guy's name. We'll just call him Johnny. He said, he said, my grandfather said, little Johnny, you know, life is a thing. There's going to be ups and there's going to be downs and there's going to be zigs and zags and twists and turns. And you're going to get some things right and you're going to get some things wrong. Just always remember to err on the side of being a badass motherfucker. And he said his whole world opened up. He said he felt like he grew two inches. His energy expanded. He saw himself in his his mind's eye as strong and confident and capable. And he said, you know, man, I've made a lot of mistakes. But most of the stuff I've ever done has worked out. I just go for stuff. I have this inherent belief in myself. You know, the people that have an inherent belief in themselves, that just doesn't happen by accident. There's a, there's a story that's supporting that version of themselves that they've created, that they have repeated, that spell of, of a combination of words that has greatly influenced the way they see themselves, self-image, and the way they feel about themselves. Self-confidence. Dude, we can talk ourselves into all kinds of stuff. You know, we do it all the time. You know, what's, what's to say that our language, again, language, internal dialogue, external dialogue is consistent. Is, that's a joke, dude. It's relentless. And again, mm-hmm. most people, their language works against, we don't, we don't learn this stuff in school, dude. I have a degree in education. I got brought up in the public school system. There's a lot more to our language, folks, and traditional spelling, grammar, and definitions. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. It really does, like, get overlooked in a lot of ways and, and not really brought to people's attention. But I'm glad that we have these social media platforms and everything that allows us to reach just a, a broader audience than, you know, the school systems even. It's crazy. Some of these videos, they, they get so many uh, views and, and so much uh, traction. Because so many people, it's like it resonates with them so well. I think it's because it's, it's ancestral in a way. It, like it's deep within them that when they hear these things, just like how you had goosebumps when you heard Abracadabra from the uh, from the person the first time, it was just like something drew you more into that. I think it's just rooted in our DNA that it needs to be kind of activated and, and remembered in a lot of people because it's like they have this forgetfulness about them that they don't think that these that these words and these you know thought processes can create their realities as, as we were talking about. So, um, but just to, to shift gears a little bit, I wanted to actually ask you a little bit about meditation and if you have any type of meditation routine or mindfulness routine or anything that you practice be it yoga or uh, you know even a particular fitness modality that brings you in that state uh, because I, I train in, in uh, powerlifting and I find that you know if I do a good deadlift session sometimes it's like as if I just meditated in, in, in a way like I have this this elated high I feel on top of the world you know and and I and it, it's crazy. I, I feel it's like it beats almost any drug that I think I've had to this date. So um, do you have any practice that do you employ on a daily or weekly or anything basis? I have had an on again, off again meditation practice and I trust it. What I mean by that is I trust it when it shows up and I think about it and then I, I, I get myself down and, and sit 
and I'll, I'll, I'll do that for months and then it'll just, it'll fade itself in and fade itself out of my life. Uh, which is interesting because we're talking about that now and I was thinking about it yesterday. So it might be uh, one of those tis the season uh, moments. I'm a martial artist. I started wrestling when I was 13. I'm 44 now. I mean, if anybody ever gets a fight with a wrestler, you, you'll call it a martial art. <laughs> yeah, I, I um, trained in Taekwondo for almost 10 years and I oh never did wrestling. And uh, when I actually did a little bit of boxing later, which was outside of the sport of Taekwondo, because when you did, you know, obviously martial arts back then, it's like, this is what you do. You know, it was like, for me, it was like, this is the Taekwondo. And I, I did the WT, like World Federation Taekwondo, not the international figures. So specific. And I did the competition sport. But when I got outside the realm of Taekwondo, I was like, wow, okay, I have a lot to learn outside of just this niche, you know, it's crazy. So totally I understand a wrestler is, is, uh, is something else in terms of a mixed martial arts type of uh, sense. And, and having said that, Taekwondo, I mean, that developed some of the best hip dexterity, arguably the best hip dexterity in martial arts. Um, just some really dangerous, odd angle kicks yeah yeah and, and that, that's actually why i stopped competition uh because of that reason because i would be fighting with these koreans uh, always koreans and they were insane like it would be kids yeah. that you wouldn't even know where they're coming from clock side of the head for the point and it's like okay i can't keep doing this stuff you know and and, and likewise i didn't want to kick anyone in the head so i was just like this is not fun i ended up actually winning more of the uh the form like where the judges judge your form and your patterns and your technique and stuff. I would win all of those because I never really wanted to hurt someone in, in, in a fighting sense, but, and, and some of these people are just nuts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. It's uh, uh, there is something very special in that sense about Koreans. I was an, I was a elementary school sports teacher in Bangkok at an international school and the most con- competitive, ruthless. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, kids on the playground when we're cu- when it, it just, just, just like racing or throwing frisbees or dodge, but it was always a Koreans, man. So yeah, I wouldn't want to fight those cats either. Um, yeah, the it, it's martial arts has given me so many. It's 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 come in chapters, man. It really has. It's given me so many opportunities to you know strengthen what needs to get to be strengthened in me. And then soften what needs to get softened in me. You know, right now, I'm one of the happiest guys. I go out. We got a. I got a six foot Fairtex bag. I, that's my brand at the tie boxing equipment out in the garage. And I'll go out there, and the whole point of the entire bag workout is to see how it's. This might sound strange. How much I can smile and breathe in my abdomen while I'm throwing the technique because it's, it's the exact opposite of how I started. I started when I was, uh, I was just, my face was just all crushed up and mad and holding my breath and everything had to be the hardest thing I could put. I was envisioning hurting people all the time. I'm like, my God, dude, you know, that's, um, that's, that's, it's pretty, uh, that, that's a good, that's a, that's a great, externalization uh, of my of my appetite for destruction so i'm like all right i'm gonna i'm just gonna do the exact opposite 
of what I used to do for, and I've been doing that. I've been practicing that way for a few years now. And, um, yeah, man, just, uh, it's, it's whatever someone does, whether it's powerlifting or meditation or, uh, martial arts, get good at something folks get good at something because in the process of repeatedly practicing something and getting better and better and better at it, you're going to learn a lot about yourself. And that's fun, man. The most, the happiest people that I know, uh, they all have, they all have practices, you know, and most of those happiest people, they've, they've been, they've have long-term practice. They've been doing something like you said, Taekwondo for 10 years. That's a long time, man. You do anything for 10 years, you're going to get, good at it yeah i think that's a, a really important statement to just to do something and take that practice on for a long time and i find that's exactly how i feel when i think to like the things that i have pushed through and and a lot of people don't realize that you have to get past that day-to-day -day aspect of it because mm -hmm. if you if you're stuck there then you have this like resistance you know you're creating this constant resistance for yourself it's like you have to embrace that it's a long a long game it's like going back thousands of years and you're hopping on a ship at sea you're going to set that course and it's going to be a while before you get there you're going to have to adjust a few times along the way but you have to accept that it's going to be a while before you you make it to your destination and i think that we have this fast-paced technology age that we're in where people just want it now 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 they want success here they want skill set and it's not necessarily how the the human a mechanism of the mind or the physical body works because you have to train it. You have to adopt a practice. You have to improve and get better at it day by day. And I think a lot of people just have this impatience when it comes to things. And, and I say that being a person and I have that exact same issue when I, when I do things. And as I said earlier, I'm very critical of myself along the way. So I find that sometimes I have to take a step back, realize that I'm only human learning in a process of developing and growing and then embrace that side of it and then kind of move on and take the lessons along the way and just learn and grow so uh, i'm so glad that you mentioned just take on a practice because it, it is uh it's super important and, and i I'm, I'm saying that from tons of experience um so i wanted to ask you a little bit about uh psychedelics even because i do post a lot of that content as well you had any any psychedelic experiences or, or know anyone that has had them um over the years i have um it was a chapter in, in high school where high school and a little bit of college where, you know, while partying, uh, also known as binge drinking, we would uh, eat psychedelic mushrooms or uh, LSD and just and mix it together. Uh, very un done very unconsciously. I moved down and I and that that chapter closed. And, um, and I thought I was done. I was wrong. Um, I moved to, as a, I lived in Bangkok for five years and I went down to that spa a lot. And when, um, when I got proficient enough to start practicing story work, I moved back down to the spa and, um, as a practitioner. The first year there, they have monsoons. And when I mean monsoons, I mean freaking monsoons. Dude. Yeah, I see the they videos. Like, I see the YouTube videos and I'm like, that is unbelievable. Like, 
We're talking yeah. acts of God. That's what an act of God is right there. Not these little rainstorms we get, you know, and <laughs> yeah. Rain like you didn't know it could rain for two months. They also have a lot of tourists on Kosamui, or they did before COVID. Uh, and a lot of those tourists, they want to ride an elephant, dude. So they had these elephant um, uh, parks. You know, elephants, they eat a lot. They also poop a lot. So they would take these big-ass baskets of elephant dung and throw it out in the, the jungle and the, uh, the chiropractor pulled me aside. I was just down there for a few months. He goes, hey, man, you know, uh, rainy season's coming up. <laughs> I didn't know what he was talking about. I'm like, what, do you, what does that mean? And he goes, um, you, know what, you know what happens when it rains on elephant shit? And I'm like, what? He goes, well, this, this island is famous for cubensis mushrooms. I'm like, huh, really? He goes, yeah, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll let you know when we're going. He was right. So it rains for, I don't know, a few weeks, and I get a text to meet me at the 7-Eleven and uh, bring, bring some 7-Eleven bags, some uh, plastic bags. I'm like, okay. I do show up. We go into the jungle. I, I don't even know the dimensions. I mean, let's just say a basketball court full all you could see was mushrooms about that big around. I mean, big boys, dude. First time we went, I walked out with probably five pounds of wet mushrooms in each bag, one slung over one handlebar. And, and that, that went on for, you know, we, we, just, we, we, were, we were doing, eating a lot of mushrooms. Um, those things were very psychedelic. And then my business partner, or my best friend, he kept talking to me about Ibogaine. I'm like, what the hell is Ibogaine? And he goes, well, it's the strongest psychedelic on the planet. Most ferocious. I'm like, okay. Uh, and he had been administering it for like seven, eight years. And he helped me talk myself into it. I took a, when was that? 2009. Did my first Ibogaine journey 2009. One week later, I'm helping assist him. And that stuff just took me, dude. It took me. And we co-founded Ibogaine Asia in late 2009. And we, for a year and a half, uh, most weekends, let's say two out of three weekends, I was administering Ibogaine. Um, we were the only people on the internet at, at, at the time that I knew of that were administering only for personal and emotional growth. And so Ibogaine is, is, it got its name for helping break, um, uh, drug addiction, especially intravenous heroin addiction and opioid addiction. It, to look that up. If you're struggling with that, or you know, someone who's struggling with that, it's not a free lunch either. Okay. Sometimes it takes people as in kills them. Um, but that's usually when they show up with health related issues from, you know, longstanding drug addictions and, or take, um, take drugs shortly after they've tripped. 
So you, if, if someone's using that for um, addiction interruption, do it under professional medical supervision. Why I'm not a professional medical supervisor. So we, uh, we, we turned down a lot of people that wanted to help with addiction. Anyway, yeah, we did about 50, 55, three day administrations. And, uh, I decided I wanted to focus exclusively on the story work. And so I nodded out of that. He and his girlfriend took over. They ran it for a few more years. Um, Got introduced to Combo in 2014 in Costa Rica. Done a decent amount of that. The is that the one with the um, it's 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 like a poison of some sort and then uh, yeah, yeah okay. I, I, it's someone uh, I spoke with someone else. Um, she was like a research scientist and she was getting into that uh, on this podcast. I can't remember which episode that was. Um, and then a friend of mine, uh, he was doing, I, w- I was living in the city of Toronto for a while and I just moved kind of on the outskirts cause it gets a little too chaotic when you're right in the middle of a city. Mm-hmm. Um, but a, a friend of mine was also living in, in the city of Toronto. He was going and doing those, um, within the city, they were, they were holding like ceremonies and stuff. And actually he just recently quit his job entirely, uh, which he was working for like Bloomberg financial, like a big company. And then he moved to Mexico. And he's opening up a like he already bought a bunch of land and he's opening up a full on like show away everything and he's farming stuff now and he's like it's like a life turnaround with him so it's really cool and interesting to see that I love when I see do those things it's like take on this uh, I don't know, new life new life journey just based on you know that they're so rigid and stuck and set in their ways that they can't get out of something At this point in this in particular he was like living uh, a living in the little condo cubicle and then going to work in a little as well. So that type of life to then leave that and to a whole new world is is just crazy. Um, And you probably appreciate that coming from someone who's traveled so much as well. And and a lot of people, they don't have these experiences. They just kind of stay in that that rigid way of being and and that's the world. So, you know, it's unfortunate. Um, I wanted to ask you, what would you give advice to yourself at 20 years old, if you're rewinding back and speaking to Mark, if you just go back in time, what, what piece of advice would you give a 20 year old Mark? And in addition to that, if someone that's listening, they obviously have turned that sort of age range. They'll, they'll probably uh, really connect with them and, and how they feel about their life. But just uh, any, any thoughts or words you would, you would share with yourself? Quadruple down on breath work. Quadruple down on breath work. Develop your breathing mechanics. Get control over your 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 breath. Dude, that's that's such that's a, it's it's an answer to many a problem that is plaguing individuals and families and communities in countries in this planet. Yeah. People, people are, people are tight, dude. They're tight. They're not loose. Okay. They're tight. Their breathing is constricted. They're living in, in, in a lot of people are, are just, just constant stress. Their buttholes are puckered, man. I actually own unpuckered.com. It's a good domain. 
Because if, if, if this is tight, then down low is tight too, dude. And it's, it's a bad way to live. You know what? Let's take out bad. Let's put in uncomfortable, man. You know, my business partner says it. He says, if you are comfortable in your own skin, then you're winning. How are you supposed to, how am I supposed, all this stuff applies as much to me as it does anybody else. How am I supposed to enjoy being me if, if I'm, uh, if, if I'm, if I'm tense and I'm tight and my breathing is just like locked up. Uh, I mean, every, every single, th if you want to master something, let's talk about that too. So that is my definitive answer to that question. What would I go and tell 20 year old Mark? Hey dude, do everything you're doing. Okay. There's going to be some bumps in the road. Well, no fucking shit, man. What were you, what were you expecting? Uh, and just, just get your breath, get your breath working for you. Get your breath low and slow. Get your lungs working. Breathe, breathe well, learn to breathe well, learn to breathe well when you're under duress, learn to breathe when you're in the ring, learn to breathe well when you're out on dates, learn to breathe well when you're taking tests, learn to breathe well when you're giving presentations. Okay. Because if you want to master something, folks, you're going to have to relax into that thing. Part of mastery is, is, is letting the skill set that you've developed, that you have acquired, go. As in getting in the flow state with it. So you mentioned powerlifting earlier. When someone is doing something and their breathing is is abdominal uh, and they're focused, the rest of the world dissolves. It's not there. Okay. I know that for a fact. When I spar, it's just me and that person. The, the entirety of the universe has disappeared. And that to me is as good as any meditation that I've ever done because I don't need reality to stop. I just need, I, I, I need a little break from it from, from time to time. And I come out of there and it's, I'm just refreshed, man. I'm refreshed mentally. So I'm a professional public speaker. I'm a professional speaking coach. And that, that came about as a byproduct of, uh, me needing to get good at telling stories and being in front of crowds and getting on podcasts and giving presentations and running group events. Uh, and so when I get hired to consult someone about presentation skills, one of the first things we talk about is their rate of speech. So when someone gets on stage, it's scary. Okay. Initially or you know, for a little while, it, it's scary looking out and seeing you know, a large room of people staring at you. Um, and it's very easy to initially go into these stress responses. When someone gets in a stress response, again, their breath, I know I'm talking about the same thing over and over again. Their breath gets trapped in their upper chest. And because it gets trapped in their upper chest, they start talking faster. And because they start talking faster, they're not breathing as well. And because they're not breathing well, they're going to talk faster. And it just, they lose control of the mechanism. And when someone slows down their rate of speech, well, whether they're presenting or uh, they're out on a date or they're sparring or they're power lifting, they're much more present they're much more fluid flow states. When someone's in a flow state, they're breathing in abdominally. Um, 
and, and every single thing that I can think of this awesome. Um, well, maybe not every single thing. Most things work better and are more enjoyable when you're breathing well. So again, 20 year old Mark work on your breath. Um, uh, people dealing with, you know, um, you know, very strange, we're in, we're in strange days, Adam, we're in uncharted territory, you know, um, The victim mentality is being celebrated as never before on planet earth. And I'm talking on all sides of the street. Okay. The more victimized someone is the better we're training ourselves to be hyper reactive. That is, we are, we are playing with fire cubed. And one way, one of the very best ways one of the most practical, okay, I'm going to say it, the most practical way that I know to raise psychological and emotional immunity the fastest is to get your breath down in your abdomen. You'll be less reactive. You'll, you'll be able to see more. Like I said, it opens up the periphery uh, externally and internally. And then that gives you the ment extra mental real estate. If you want to look at how your language is uh, influencing you, uh, much easier to do that. I get asked a lot, what, what do I do, Mark? You know, the macro answer is slow down your rate of speech by 20%. You'll be able to connect dots. You'll be a better listener. When someone is telling a story or sales, we talk about sales a lot, not, not necessarily like in podcasts like this, but you know, it does come up. Um, you, you want to be, you want to be breathing well. Okay. You're much better. You're, you're, you're comfortable folks go past confidence. Confidence is of course, it's better than insecurity. The promised land is comfort. You can only be comfortable in, in your body if you're breathing well. Um, yeah, man, and my language, the way I use my language now, the way I tell myself a story about myself and my place in the world is much more clear and simple and focused and kinder and productive and more empowering significantly substantially it's it's it, the, the world it, it, profoundly different the world was flat and now it's round and compared to how i used to talk to myself when i was 20 and how i talk to myself now and and that that also helps keep me centered so you know what's my what's my most consistent practice you talked about practices earlier. Yeah, I do martial arts from time to time. I'm a language guy, dude. I'm a story guy. I'm, I'm going to use my words like a surgeon. Okay. I'm going to use my words consciously and constructively because I know what happens when I don't. All hell breaks loose in my, my mind and in my heart and I suffer. And then I share that with other people. It sucks. Mm -hmm. It really is that as within, so without kind of thing. Yeah, I think you've dropped some some really great knowledge bombs for people for people watching and listening to this from, from taking on a practice from you know slowing down and and just really hashing out how you use your words and and then you know articulating in that way. It's, it's some really really solid information, and and dropping the breath I think is super important and it is something that's taught throughout martial arts throughout powerlifting. It's like if I'm 
whether I'm lifting something, it, it makes a difference whether I breathed correctly or not, if that's going to come up off the ground or do whatever it's got to do. Uh, and it's, it's like night and day. So I, I feel like powerlifting as a practice has taught me that quite a bit as well. It is just like it's going to come up or it's not going to come up. And it just comes down to, you know, thoughts that I tell myself and then how I use my breath to, to execute that movement. So, um, but thank you for sharing all the really, you know, valuable, resourceful information with anyone that's watching this. I'm sure they appreciate it. Uh, and if you want to reach out to you or uh, connect in any which way, uh, is it, what, what's your website and, and uh, Instagram page and everything that, you know, if anyone wants to message you or, or have, any, have any questions, or I know you do a coaching program too. So if they want to reach out about that. Very cool. The easiest way to get in touch with me is through Instagram, Mark England 2020. I've turned that uh, account into, let's just say 80% uh, school and 20% entertain uh and yeah if you want to learn more about the language game go to vocabulary.org and check out the site yeah we've got uh got an online course there fun to take change the way you use your words create stories forever um and if you're into good solid tedx talks Go to YouTube, put in my name, TED Talk. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fun nine minutes, and it's a, it's a great thing to, it's, it's proved a, 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 a quality share in communities. Yeah, man, you want to build community? I'm speaking to the audience here. I know you already do it, Adam. You want to build community? Work on the language that you all are using. Language, language crafts culture. And as the great Peter Drucker said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Beautiful. Thank you, Thank you again for taking the time. I'll also include those links that you mentioned and your TEDx talk uh, in the description of this episode so people can quickly get to it. And uh, thank you again for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. I, I learned a lot as well from this, and there's a lot I'll take away from it. And really nuggets of information and some reminders there for me to really check my breathing. And, uh, and uh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much again for, for coming on. Thank you for having me on, Adam. And thank you, everyone, for, for listening. Appreciate it. <laughs>